I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I listen to loads of podcasts on 2x speed and I am a huge fan. Oh, my fan. brother. My brother. My 2x brother. Yeah. Oh, you got to. You can't be yeah. listening to people talk like they're drunk on their yeah. 1x speed. <laughs> so you listen to people that sound like they're on meth is what you're saying. <laughs> Welcome to Working Code. And now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 155. And on today's show, we're going to talk about software that we are thankful for because we are nothing if not late to the party. (laughs) (laughs) We're recording this on November 27th and it was just Thanksgiving. And so we're in the mood to be thankful. So we're going to talk about software that we're thankful for. But first, as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails. And it looks like it's my turn to go first. And you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna tie the two together. Uh, so there's a piece of software that I'm really thankful for. It's called Dead Man Snitch. I've mentioned it on the show before. And we can talk more about what that is. But basically, my triumph here is that my talking to my team, you know, we, we hit this point where we have so many snitches. We, we've, we've actually, for Dead Man Snitch, my company has reached the point where we're on the, if you need more than that, call us plan. <laughs> you know, like on the pricing page, it's like, okay, there's this price and this price and this price. And if you need more than that, call us and we'll work something out. So I did. <laughs> and that, that's where we are. So that's how many snitches we're using. And, Wait, can you um, can you just back up for a second? And when you say that you have a lot of snitches, these are like health checks for your software? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So we, we've talked about this not too long ago. The this is so it's called Dead Man's Snitch, S N I T C H, but it is conceptually sort of a. a, a software implementation of the concept of a dead man's switch with a W instead of an N, which is you, you press the button down and, and that like arms it. And then if you ever let go of the button, then it activates, right? So you could use it. So uh, I used a pretty, I don't know, gory analogy previously when we talked about this. And then I was talking with one of our patrons about it. And he reminded me that I think maybe the dead man's switch God, I got to be careful with that W in the end, but I think that the dead man switch was originally invented for train. Is it engineers, the guys who stand or guys and gals who stand up at the front and, and, you know, make the train run, right? They're the ones pulling the levers and blowing the whistle and whatever, <laughs> you know, make the, the train move. And like, if the idea was, if they ever take their foot off of this pedal, then the train would stop because something bad has oh, okay. happened. Right. So that's kind of the same idea with your software, right? So you've got scheduled jobs, right? You've got a scheduled job that it's, it's, it, the reason it exists is to bill your customers, right? It sends them invoices. And if it stops doing its job, then it, that's a big freaking deal. And you need to know that. But how and are so, you? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So the way that it works is every time that the job runs, you send an HTTP request, right? A webhook to Dead Man's Snitch. And they just record it. Okay. And, okay. and so if they you don't ever have to stop have, checking like in, right? hooks into your software, you're pushing to them that something's happened. Okay. Exactly. Right. So if you if you stop checking in, if you fail to check in, then it would send you a notification in one of the many ways that it's possible to do so. I wonder if you could not to not to throw a snitch here under the bus, but I know that you have talked before about using CloudWatch, is it? Mm-hmm. For logging. I wonder if CloudWatch would have some sort of 
similar type of an alert where instead of sending an HTTP request to the snitch product, you could log a particular message and then have mm-hmm. CloudWatch say, hey, if I haven't seen this message n number of times in the last hour, something might be wrong and let me send an alert. I'm just shooting from the hip here. I have no sure. idea how CloudWatch works. I, I got to imagine something like that could be accomplished. At this point, it would have to save us a ridiculous amount of money in order right, to make right. it worth like you already switching have a over. Solution. <laughs> right. And, and we not only do we have this solution, we have other like things integrated with it, right? Like it, it integrates with our team chat, it integrates with our on call. And so like it would be kind of a big effort to switch it to something else, especially like at that ground level that you're building other stuff on top of. And it's not that expensive, all things considered. Right, right, I think right. we're paying like $90 a year or something like oh, that. Oh, that's, that's a rounding it, error, as they say. It might be $90 a month, but still, like, uh, not, yeah. not that bad. Yeah, anyway, so my triumph, getting back to that from five minutes ago, is that you know we're, we're doing so many of these snitches now, in large part because we have not made it to multi-tenant yet, and we have a bunch of customers, and so we have N jobs times N customers and it just becomes this explosion of jobs. And so we have so many snitches, and, and it was becoming way too tedious to manage the configuration of like, okay, when this job for this customer runs, it needs to use this snitch ID to in the webhook to say, okay, I'm, I ran. And so you know, we, we had a meeting about it, and we discussed the options available to us. And it was one of those things where like we felt like we were right there, and then I'm so glad that we just kind of like kept talking it out for a couple more minutes, because then we came up with the best solution which is we shouldn't manage that config at all. They have an API, they have a database, they're storing the configuration for us. We should just use like tags in their system and use the API to create and and look up the snitches that we need. So like, you know, the job runs and it says, okay, I'm, you know, working code university and the, the male stubbing job has run. I need to snitch for it. And it says, okay, well, I don't have a snitch configured for working code university for, for mail stub. So let me go create one. I have to look up what the config for mail stubbing is, create a, a snitch using that. Because, okay, so that's another thing I didn't mention earlier. The snitches, you know, diff- different types of jobs run on different schedules, right? So you know, might, might have something that runs once a minute. You might have something that runs once an hour. You might have something that runs four times a day, you know, three days a week, whatever. So you can have different schedules and, and configurations of your snitches. So this thing, when you go to check in, it pulls up the config, creates the snitch if needed, and then checks into it. And then the next time that you try to check into that snitch, it'll already be created. It'll look it up and just check into it. And this is going to be so helpful for us. So this all started because we realized that we were like way behind on creating new snitches. Like we just had dozens of jobs that didn't have snitches that were like kind of becoming a problem because things would break and we'd be like, how did we not know that that job was not running. Like, you know, don't we have snitches for that? And like, oh, well, actually, no. So we did this big audit of all of our jobs, created a spreadsheet because business runs on spreadsheets. And we were like, we identified something like 170 jobs that didn't have snitches. Like, oh my God, this is going to be such a nightmare (laughs) to create them all. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem so bad when you're adding them like two, three at a time. But when you're adding like 170 in one go, like this is, there's got to be a better way. So that's when we came up with this approach to like let Deadman Snitch API be the source of truth. And it also means that like, yes, there's a little bit of work and, and the, the triumph is I've been working on it and the code is pretty much ready to ship at this point. We're waiting for Giving Tuesday to come and go before we 
take the risk of rocking the boat by doing a big deploy like this. So is Tuesday a big donation day for you? Yeah. So today is Monday, the 27th, you know, shortly after Black Friday, today's Cyber Monday. And then Tuesday following that is like national sort of day of giving, right? You had your day of thanks. You've had your couple of days of commerce and now it's the day of giving. Whatever's Um, left over. Yeah, you know, if you got any table scraps, push them over this way. It's a, it's a pretty big broad light. You know, I hadn't really heard of it until I started working in this industry, but apparently Giving Tuesday is a big thing that a lot of people are aware of. I know MP, anyway. NPR always reminds me about it every this time of year. <laughs> yeah. And so we're, we're just trying not to rock the bow. You know, we don't want to mess something up right, right as our customers are trying to raise a whole bunch of money. So anyway, after this code that I've been working on gets deployed, like, all of these jobs can start checking in, create their own snitches. And as we add new jobs in the future, all, the only thing that we have to do is add the config for the snitches. The snitches will add themselves. It's going to be so awesome. But how many of them get stitches? <laughs> <laughs> all snitches get stitches, don't you okay. know? Just checking. That's pretty cool. So if just so that I understand, essentially you have in your application code, you put in calls to the snitch program even when the configuration doesn't exist. And then essentially the snitch program is kind of tracking 404s on requests. And then you basically go and post fill those. Yeah. I mean, if you guys want maybe another episode or something, we can dig into like how the, how, how it's actually implemented for me. But for the, for the most part, yeah, you know, we, we pull from the API, we say, you know, give me my list of snitches is the one that I'm looking for in there through various criteria. And if not, then I need to create it. I don't currently have the concept of like a default configuration. So like if you try to check into the, you know, Ben needs to feed Lucy for the 117th time today job, (laughs) then and there's no configuration found for that one, then right now what it would do is just throw an error. to Essentially to get the developer's attention to say, hey, wait a minute, you tried to snitch. There is no snitch config. So you know what? you need to do something about this. Either remove the attempt to snitch or add the configuration. But I do kind of think maybe having a default of like, you know, just, expect, just expect it once a day might be the way to go. Yeah, what, then at least you could get a really what's broad the, What's the website for this product? That- it's deadmansnitch.com. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, of course, I think we should just go ahead and say this up front, not sponsored for any of the things we're going to mention today. Always available, we, though. Yeah. <laughs> please I will shill for almost anybody let, let me ask another question because I know that you do make heavy use of AWS Lambda functions for some of your your processing power mm-hmm. um, and you know when you make an HTTP call to an external service there is usually some degree of hiccuping in latency you know where mm-hmm. 99% of the time, it takes 30 milliseconds. And then every now and then, it'll take 17 seconds. Do you have any sense in Lambda if UDP communication works? Like where you you initiate the request, but you don't actually care for the response? Hmm. In, in a cold fusion application, I'll do that sometimes if I'm, say, like logging a metric and I don't really care if it fails, you know, one out right. of every thousand times. But where you have a Lambda where it executes for the duration of the function and then maybe disappears. I don't know if that then messes up the idea of a kind of this background request that it doesn't so need to return. It's, it's a very interesting thought. I mean, do I know? No, I do not know that. I am almost certain that Node 
which is the runtime that we're using on Lambda, can make UDP requests. So that should work. The thing that we're making requests to is a service that we created, right? So it's not the Lambda directly hitting dead man snitch. It's hitting a centralized service for us that manages like a local cache of the snitching and it has the snitch config. And it, it translates from, I'm trying to check into this Lambda job for this customer into here's the webhook URL. So it does that, that conversion, that lookup. Gotcha. And then it, it, it converts it to that and then sends that back to the Lambda in this case. And then Lambda sends that web request. And it, it, so I know that it is possible to exit a Lambda before certain things are done. Like you can exit a Lambda with a database connection still connected. And I think in theory, you know, it, so say you're in a high concurrency moment, right? You're, you're handling a lot of requests with Lambda. It's not just like a one invocation and then go to sleep for five minutes and then another one. This is like right. a 2,000 requests queued up and, and so like handle one, shut down, handle one, shut down. In theory, you are shutting down, but you're leaving that database connection connected. And when it, when that Lambda virtual machine gets reused, like the, I think they call it a warm copy or whatever, and it's still connected in there. So potentially you could maybe make that HTTP request and just not wait for the response. I'm not sure how that would work, but. All right. All right. So. We're, we're kind of wedging. We're all this over in. the place. I know we're just kind of wedging this in with 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 your thankful, and I appreciate you bringing this up. So it talks. I'm looking at the website. Actually, I put in Dead Man's Switch instead mm-hmm. of Snitch at first, which actually was a URL. And it's mm-hmm. basically you put in your information, and it I guess it pings you, and if you don't respond a certain amount of time, it alerts people that you're dead, physically oh. dead. As right. a human being. Yeah. So, so I'm like, this is the worst website ever. I don't even, where's the API docs? I told you, you got to be careful. Yeah. But so I found Dead Men's Snitch. So I have a, a job that sends out tons and tons of SMS. And basically what I do is I let it run for two hours and I assume it's going to fail the first time because it's like it times out or whatever. Would this, could that check that and then just rerun it? No, it, it would not do the rerunning part for you. It's just, it will notify you that it failed to check in. Okay. Well, I've already and got you can have that does yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, you can have it do email, or you can have it send to your Slack team, or your yeah. Discord, or SMS, or to a push notification on in the app on your phone, or you know, a dozen other things. Okay. All right. Very cool. All right. Now that we're 15 minutes into this episode, I'm going to throw it over to you, Ben. What, what's your triumph or fail? I'm going to go with a triumph, a pretty big triumph for me, which is that. This morning, which is Cyber Monday, I released an early access version of my book on feature flags. Um, oh. it's, yeah, I've been I, it's I've been working on this for just shy of three months. I think maybe I started on September sixth or something like mm-hmm. that. So just shy of three months, and putting quite a significant amount of time into it. The early access is just a PDF, and it's essentially the way I've been authoring the book is I have a book.md, MD stands for Markdown, I have a book.md file that I've been authoring directly in, and it's in source control. And then I take that, I parse it with uh, Flexmark, which is a a (laughs) Java-based, thank you for the graffiti there, Uh, Flexmark, which is a Java-based markdown to HTML parser and then i run that through jsoup which is a java-based uh, 
uh, HTML to document object model parser. And then I add some links and t- generate a table of contents and I output it to the page. So essentially I take this book markdown file and I turn it into a web page. And the early access version is literally me just in Chrome doing command P and then printing the output to a PDF and, you know, removing the headers and footers and adjusting the margins. And it's bespoke. Yeah, it's, it's very Ar- artisanal. Bespoke. It's an artisanal book. <laughs> it's an artisanal book. Exactly. Exactly. And as long as I never change the settings on my print to PDF, then I can consistently generate it. Um, <laughs> I, I do have plans to aspirational plans to try and turn this now into an EPUB, which is Apple's official use and no. uh, Mobi, which is, is it again? No. Okay. I don't know. EPUB is, is open source. It's not an yeah, Apple. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I didn't mean it was Apple. I meant, I meant Apple books. The Okay. Yeah, book, that's what that's, Apple Books expects, yeah. They prefer EPUB, and then Amazon's Kindle, they prefer uh, Mobi or PDF. And so apparently there's some giant open source library called Pandoc, which can convert between a bajillion different formats, and mm-hmm. it can take HTML or Markdown and convert it into EPUB and PDFs and Mobis. I just have to figure that out. And, and at that point, I then also want to clean up some of the page breaking and where figures like images get placed so that they don't create these giant empty gaps and pages. And, you know, that's all something I intend to do. But as of today, I have officially launched an early access version of the book. It's available on Gumroad, which is the service that Adam had recommended to me. And and so far, that's been a pretty easy service to use and sold some books. So I'm pretty excited about that. Heck yeah, man. I I got that email while I was, you know, after the dog walk this morning before the oldest left for school. And I was like, gotta, gotta get it done before I gotta (laughs) do the thing for the kid. So Adam Tuttle was my very first purchase. So that was very, that was very nice of him. I just happened to be sitting on my phone, like playing spider solitaire, (laughs) waiting for the, you know, I, I had three minutes left until the kid needed to, you know, be brought down for the school bus. And so like, you know, doing that, like get the the push notification for the email from Ben Nadell. I'm like, I wonder what that's about. I look at it and it's, you know, feature flags book something. I'm like, click. And it's like, heck <laughs> it's yeah, awesome. bye. Bye now. So, I bought it on my phone and then I was like, wait a minute, there's a down, I don't want to download it on my phone because then if, I wonder if like the, the download button would only works once or whatever. It's like, I don't want to have to like try to figure out how to get it off. No, it, I don't think it works that way. It does not work that way. Okay, good. But good, I was good, worried good. about it working that way. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to have to figure out how to get the PDF from my phone to the computer. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's not that hard, but I was just like, it'll be easier if I just yeah, wait yeah. <laughs> and, and download it on my computer. So, so I'm, I'm thrilled about that. So my, my wife, when I told my wife that I had published it today, then she went and actually started to read some of it for the first time. And mm-hmm. she came in like an hour later and she said, I think it's really good, but mm-hmm. you use <laughs> bold and italics text like all over the place. Like you have to chill. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that is a byproduct of when I write, it's basically the way that I write is I write a couple of sentences and then I read those sentences back to myself out loud. Just that's, that's historically how I write, which, you know, is probably like literally my, out loud flapping yes, your meat yes, parts. Yes, and- my, my meat parts in the <laughs> wind, <laughs> which is definitely why my attempt to apply the just ship mentality did yeah. not actually happen. And I'm much slower of a writer than I had hoped I would be. Anyway, uh, so I read, I skimmed back over the book and I'm like, oh my God, she's right. I, I, I italicize like every other word in the book. <laughs> um, 
So I quickly went through and I removed all of the italics and bolding or, you know, like 98% of all the italics in the bolding. And I generated my PDF via Chrome's print PDF artisanally. And I re-uploaded it to Gumroad and then I sent out another email. So you might actually get a second email that says, I saw it. That says, if you don't, I think, I think a phrase is like, if you'd like a less aggressively formatted version of the book, <laughs> <laughs> you can download it again. She's like, Ben, you need to calm down. This is a Wendy's. <laughs> she just, did she just like get Taylor Swift to come over and sing, you need to calm down? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, I'm super excited about that. I'm super that excited awesome. to just get back to blogging. I feel like my blog has been a ghost town for the last three months, other than thankfully the Wednesday posting of the Working Code Pod updates. Heck yeah, man. So that keep, shows keeping it. Do the you, you alive. guys su- su- subscribe to Pete Freitags? He has like a, a yeah, weekly CF newsletter. Break. CF break. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's always been in the gang. It's like on working code. Like, okay, yeah. it's, it's Adam's podcast, but all right. It's, just, <laughs> hey, I'll take it's, it. Ben's, it's Ben's blog. We'll, we'll take the free publicity. That's right. It's not like the web, the podcast has its own website that you could. Yeah, true. Link so, to. But it's know. a good time. Good time. And that's me. Carol is traveling. It looks like not with us today. So I'm going to kick it over to Tim to take us home. Tim, what do you got going on? Well, I guess all three of us have a triumph, which is you know, pretty good for having been off. I guess, I guess when you've been off most of the last week, it's you know less room for fail. So there's <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. So it's first day back at work after a long three day three day off, you know, for Thanksgiving. And but I, I managed to. So we have an early version, Scala version of our our payment API that I, I think. As of the beginning of the year, there's only one customer that was using it, and they're a really slow customer. We didn't want to kill it, you know, and make them. So eventually, they got around to updating their stuff to use the new API. Got that moved over, and so today, I we we tur- we just turned it off <laughs> just to make sure no one else was using it. We did we did look at our we did look at our logs, our Nginx logs, and all the other logs to see what requests were coming in. And the only thing that was coming in is some of our internal reports that we that we wrote that was calling this old uh api so basically I, I wrote a replacement report for that that gets all the same exact same data returns exact same format you know all the same getters when you do the get call to do it replace that and it took about four hours today but was testing it out all the tests seem to work so we'll see t- tomorrow and it's not super mission critical some people can't get their reports for a couple hours tomorrow why fix stuff that's not a big issue but it's nice to finally turn an, an old machine off mm. particularly one that's in the PCI environment because any you know, every ma- machine and service that you add to your PCI stack is just a new surface area for it's a vector for attack so yep. the more we can turn off the better that's yeah, like the best code ever is the code you didn't write or the code that doesn't run anymore. Yeah. It's not accessible. So got to delete it. Yep. So basically deleted a whole service today. So pretty confident that it should be okay. We'll find out if it's a failure next week or next episode. <laughs> but we'll see. So yep. yeah, that was me. At work, we use the phrase scream test to indicate <laughs> that we don't know if anyone is still using something. So we'll just turn it off and see who starts screaming. Yep. And, and then we we'll do know. the exact same thing. I mean, we did check the logs, and the look. The only requests that were coming were all this daily report report that we have. That was it. So there was no payments coming through. There was no refunds or transactions. So we're like pretty confident that no one else is using it. So 
And if they are, they're, they're doing it maybe once or twice a year and we don't want them as a customer. So We've had issues in the past, and this is something that I didn't even know was possible, but we use Kubernetes to deploy a lot of our uh, containers to production. Mm-hmm. And Kubernetes can just completely lose track of a, of a running container sometimes. And I think it has to do with rolling deployments or something. But every now and then, we would have a service that we're trying to shut down and we see traffic continuing to come into it. And we're like, where the hell is this traffic coming from? And someone on the platform team, you know, has to go into some low-level APIs and start listing out things in our network. And then they'll just find a container that's just running that, that none of our other systems knew about. And it just happens to have all the, you know, it was running on an old version of code, which is also terrifying, by the way. But it's you know, just running out there in the void, making API calls to other pods because that's what it would do, say, as part of a worker process or something. Mm-hmm. And just Kubernetes had no idea it was there anymore. Hmm. It's there. It's weird. Seems like a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> eh, it's fine. <laughs> It'll just take care of itself naturally eventually. Yeah. So Dead somebody else's switch. problem. Cool. So let's get into the software that we're thankful for. We've already mentioned a couple of things here, but maybe we should just sort of like go round robin, just throw mm-hmm. something out, and and you know if we want to dig into one of those, or if we just want to go, yeah, yeah, that that it sounds good. I agree. <laughs> then we can move past them quickly too. It doesn't have to be a whole discussion for each one. So who wants to go first? I'll I already first. went first. I already I'll, went first. I said oh. dead man snitch. So now somebody else go. I'll go second. You go, Ben. I'll go second. I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I listen to loads of podcasts on 2x speed. And I am a huge fan. Oh, my brother. My brother. My 2x brother. Yeah. Oh, you got to. You can't be listening to people talk like they're drunk on their 1x speed. (laughs) So for years and years, I just used the default. So you listen to people that sound like they're on meth, is what you're saying. (laughs) They're they're tweaking hard. Well, we were talking about this in the podcast Discord today about like if it's something that I'm trying to like learn from and concentrate on and be like, okay, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Or like if it's Mm. I'm trying to like you know grow as I listen to this, then I cannot go above like 1.8. That's sort of the max. But like if it's just for entertainment, like if I'm listening to a fiction audiobook or if I'm watching a YouTube video that like you know I'm not trying to follow along, I'm not trying to learn something from it. It's just entertainment value. Man, I can get up to like 4x sometimes. What? Oh yeah. Nice. So so a- along those lines, when I first started listening to podcasts for years, I just used whatever the native one on the Apple iOS was, which I think I think it was just called Apple Podcasts. Terrible. It's just called terrible. Just you you find the ugliest icon and and you open it up and it just yells at you. I'm so slow to switch things, but I was listening to a podcast one day and someone said, "Oh, you should check out Overcast. It's a it's a podcast, uh-huh. a podcasting app. And their selling point was that it has this dynamic speed mode where you can say put it on 2x, but then you turn on this dynamic speed and it will automatically trim this dead space in the podcast. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. it'll be 2x, but it'll still get through like it's sometimes going 2.1x or 2.2x because it'll just skip over empty space. Your, mm-hmm. your, the voices are not crazy, but the overall duration of the podcast uh, is much shorter. Anyway, that, that was the selling point. So I tried Overcast and it's just, it's a really, really great app. It's very solid. It has a bunch of cool configurations about different speeds for different podcasts and you can put podcasts into different types of playlists and you can say automatically download new episodes when they're there, how many episodes you should keep around. 
it's it's just become yeah i mean uh, these are all table stakes features for any podcast app that doesn't suck (laughs) (laughs) well i'm on podcast app number two right now so it's it's way better than the one i had before so it's a whole new world i'm gonna have to add i didn't have uh pocket casts on my on my list of of apps but i'm adding it because of it, exactly what you're talking about. So I'm holding up the screen so these guys can see my stats here. And <laughs> yeah. Hours. So I, I've been listening. I've got 70 days and 20 hours of listen time. Now that I, I believe that is like, you know, as recorded, right? If you were listening at one X, so mm. less than that total, but by skipping, right? Hitting the like forward 30 second button or something like that to get past ads and that sort of thing. I've saved almost just shy of 13 hours by using variable speed, I, I'm just shy That's of awesome. 24 days saved. <laughs> um, oh goodness. The, the trim silence thing you're talking about where like, you know, if there's just a long pause, it just cuts it and doesn't count that toward like the, the, the speed change. It's saved three days and 18 hours auto skipping. So like, That's you know, crazy. some, co- some podcasts have, you know, a, a two minute intro and it's just like the same recording every single time. They, they never mix it up. There's never like, you know, it's, mm. it's not a discussion thing. It's just like, we play this clip and then we have our show and then we play this clip as we exit. I have that automatically trimmed off. So it's just like it starts and and they're already in a discussion. It's awesome. saved three hours and 52 minutes from that. So Ew, total saving. how that adds yeah. up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, overcast. Yeah, yeah, overcast. Hit it. It's great. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll do one. And mine's going to be super basic. I, I am so appreciative. I'm thankful for Git source control. Word. Because oh, yeah. I, I lived back in the day before source control was really available to the masses. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you guys, the things I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> back in the days of visual source safe or yeah, oh my God. source control was dot back, dot back, dot yeah, final, exactly. dot final, dot final, yeah. dot final. Second real. version. Tim's version, Bob's V2. version, Carol's version. Yeah, it gets source control. I mean, it, it's just so, it's, I still, I don't understand how it works. I'm just glad that it does because it's like, there's times when it's, I, I, I thought I lost code and I didn't lose code. And sometimes I have lost code, but, but you know, it keeps it safe. It's simple. It's, and it, learning it, I don't know why it was so hard the first time I was trying to get, wrap my head around it. it. I couldn't get the mental model of how it worked. And I think I had some, bad habits yeah too much well. experience with subversion right it just yeah. kind of turns your brain inside out when you try to switch yeah to and uh, you know would, would like have bad you know constantly having merge conflicts and branches that were bad and but now it's just like it's so simple it's like i don't even use like fancy you know it's like maybe five commands i use just just yeah. make sure that you know if you're sometimes you're working in different <laughs> repos just make sure you're, you're you're pushing them up and pulling them down regularly you're a you're a five commander, yeah, five <laughs> five yeah. But with Git, that's a good thing. So because so, you're having to get esoteric with the the Git the Git bash line, you you that's because you messed something up bad. You got to figure it out. I think if we could just extend this though, I think GitHub has done just worlds of wonder for the development process for on sure. top of Git. I, I didn't even realize for years that the concept of a pull request was something that GitHub had invented. That was not yeah. part of what Git actually did. They just used to send around was like patch patch yeah, files, patch files. Like email yeah. or something insane like that. I can't even imagine a world like that. Yeah, and and it's funny because like I don't know I don't understand how they got to the name of a pull request 
really. I mean, I guess it's it's there if you dig hard enough for it. But like, if you think about the way that you would share code prior to that, right? You would make your changes in your branch, you'd create a patch, and you would like email it and be like, "All right, here's my changes. Please, in, you know, review this." And then right. I guess, I, I guess at that point, if you did like the code and you didn't need, have to request any changes or anything, you could like add a remote. Now again, we're talking about get here not subversion mm-hmm. or anything like that but you should add a remote and you could pull from that remote and merge it into your main branch so maybe that's where they came up with the name pull request but like to me it always seemed like such a push action so it always kind of felt interesting and backwards that they ended up calling it pull requests but I think yeah. it's worked yeah. I, I mean the whole idea of a, a centralized thing like GitHub kind of breaks the paradigm of, of, you know, source control being, you know, distributed and, you know, there's no, no, there's no one, you know, place of truth. But honestly, at the end of the day, it makes everything so much easier when you have that. So it's like, as long as it gets up and it usually, you know, it's been down a few times, but you know, it's a, yeah. just make it a holiday. I mean, and, uh, you're, you're not wrong. They make it a holiday. The, so our approach, so we use GitHub actions pretty heavily as our CI CD stack and in large part because of what you're describing, right? Where like, you know, GitHub can go down. Stuff breaks sometimes. You know, maybe Amazon is down or whatever. And like, we, in an effort to make it so that we can still be as productive as possible, at the end of the day, all of our GitHub CI workflows, they just call makefile scripts. So we, we have makefiles that do the thing, right? It's a build the container, push it to ECR, trigger a deploy on ECS, whatever. But that's all done in makefile scripts. And then the the workflow, just like check out the code, find the makefile, run the make command. It's basically what it does. Yeah. Our, our, ours is kind of similar to that. Yeah, we're, we're just pulling it from the latest branch. But if I had locally the latest branch, I could just, in mm-hmm. our scripts, we, we it's, forget what we use it in Scala. But anyway, it, it's basically doing the same. It's, it's pulling down the latest code from, from GitHub and then builds the packages and then puts it up on the server, I can mm-hmm. comment that out and just say, you know what, use my local because I have local changes and then push it up. So yeah, th- there would be a workaround for that. Usually they're not down long. We just wait, have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take a lunch. That's me. Get source control. I'm, I'm very thankful right. for, for source control. I, I guess it's my turn to go then. And I'm going to go with video chat and I'm just calling it video mm-hmm. chat. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to call it FaceTime or the one that I use the most right now is Discord because that's where my team chat is. Before that, it was Slack. Before that, we used Google Meet. And I think that the the reason that I am so thankful for these things is because really, this is what empowers at least my team and my company to be fully remote. Like We don't even have an office. There is no return to office. I'm already in my office. And I don't think it would be possible without video chat. And, and this is like totally open technology. Somebody could have made a lot of money off of this probably, but they decided to just Share it with the world. And I'm so thankful for that. Is it open? Yeah, RCS is... Wait, RCS is the the thing that Apple is only mostly in, implementing in iMessage. Talk about RCS. I mean, like Discord, I know they... There's you can pay for that. Oh yeah, I mean, Slack, Discord yeah. Discord itself is... But the, the underlying technology for doing video chat, like Google Meet, right, mm. is it's just built on web technology. Like anybody can go build a, a web video chat platform. Gotcha. I will plus one video, something. video conferencing. It's It's been pretty amazing. We use Zoom very heavily at work and it's just been just the, just, and anything that makes it seamless and effortless to get into a call 
is really great. And I think all of the different products have really made it kind of just a one button click. Let's do this yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, 100%. And we're, we're using video chat right now to do, record this on riverside.fm. Pro show. Yeah. Yep. Pro show. Cool. So, Ben, I guess that's your turn. Yeah, I'll go with a kind of along the same lines of collaboration. I use a product called Snagit, which is part of the TechSmith suite of products. It's just a screenshotting tool and video, like little quick video recording tools. And I know that there's a million different screenshotting tools where you just take a screenshot and you can drag it into Discord or drag it into Slack or drag it into email. But I've been using Snagit for a really long time and it's just really great. It has a bunch of additional tools like being able to highlight text and annotate things and you can crop images and drag new images onto existing images. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure nothing in there is particularly revolutionary to this little genre of tools, but Snagit has just been my, my go-to and uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, big plus one from me. I use, what is it called? Sketch, which originally mm, was yeah, like its Sketch. own thing. And they got bought out, I think, by Evernote. And then it just kind of like mostly died, but you can still you can still use it. It's just not like, I think originally it had like a, you could take a screenshot and annotate it, whatever. And then there was a button where you could like push it up to the cloud and you could just yeah. share that URL with somebody. And that part is gone. So now I just like, I take my screenshot, I annotate it. And then I just copy it to the clipboard and paste it. Yo, I used to be a big Sketch user and I remember one of the things that really sold, yeah, really sold me on it was I always thought that their arrows were just perfectly stylized. Yes. It wasn't just a line with a with a little cap at yes. the end. It was like a fun, chunky arrow. Oh, I, I give anybody on my team who like creates documentation with screenshots and it looks like a, a toddler came by with a crayon and drew an arrow yeah. on it. <laughs> <laughs> like... I just give them so much. I'm like, there are better tools. We are better than this. Do better. Be better. Yo, for real. Their their chunky arrows were just the right blend of playful and professional and well done. And I think Skitch was just a really fantastic product. I don't even remember why we stopped using it at work. Maybe it just got replaced by Snagit at some point, or there was a or. I don't know, the licensing issue. Who knows? Even who knows? But it was a fantastic product for sure. Mm-hmm. It still is. Still is. Oh, just sketch. Getting nostalgic over there. Yeah. Big time. What about you, Tim? What's next for you? So building off my last one on source control is just being able to do automated CI, CD, continuous improvement, continuous delivery. So we use, for most of our new projects that we're using, of course, we use GitHub for the code. We use Jira for, you know, the, the ticket management and the, the task tracking, and then to the Azure DevOps pipeline. So, which has a plugin for Jira, you can go through, you know, we have a strict approval process for anything that has to be reviewed for PCI reasons. And then, you know, you just, I mean, I remember the days, what it took to deploy things. Like it was moving, physically moving files. And now you just click a button. Yeah, that's just seeing how hard the code deployment used to be into what it is now with just this easily documentable, easily replace, you know, reproducible, easily rollbackable type of system. It's just, it's amazing. I love it. it we, we, we saved so many hours. There were times where it's like in the early, early days, but before we had good source control where, you know, we would wait to off hours to deploy code because, you know, 
you have to manually put files out there. And so if you don't get all the files up at the exact same time, which was impossible, or if they, you know, cause there's conflicts or something or with the bad source control that we used to have, things could break. Cause you know, you got 59 out of your 62 pages deployed, but the others, others aren't there. It just was a mess. And now it's just like <laughs> click, click. Well, and, and it's even crazier than that nowadays where you can get things like Netlify where they'll take a GitHub branch and they'll give you a subdomain, like a preview subdomain mm-hmm. just of your branch. And then it gets even crazier than that because I think, I don't know if it's planet scale. There, there's some company or some set of companies where they have databases now as a service and they will do the same kind of thing where if you want to run a migration, they will give you like an on the fly, like, I, I don't even quite understand how it works. They'll give you like an on the fly new snapshot of the database with the new structural change without having to have actually copied all the data somehow using some sort of, I don't know, copy on read magic or something. And then you can use that to test your migration changes in, in other preview environments. It's just, it's just really bananas the way we're moving forward as an industry in terms of deployments. And these, and these things, you know, it's like people doing it now, like to kind of take it for granted. Oh yeah, of course that's the way to do it. It's like, Guys, you didn't realize how, <laughs> how, how, how rich you have it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I still feel, I don't know if, I think at the very beginning of our podcast, like our, of the Working Code series of podcasts, I had said my goal during one of the years was I wanted to get something built into a container and then deployed using CI, CD, because at work, we had people who built that and I can leverage it, but I didn't build it. And to this day, the actual wiring up and orchestrating of all that stuff is still kind of a black box to me. I don't quite know how any of it works. And I'm sure that's just, if I do it once, it'll make sense, but it, it still seems super exciting and foreign and mysterious to me. Okay, cool. So um, I'm going to, there's so many good things, so many things to be thankful for. I'm going to throw out a couple of like rapid fire ones and then give a real one. How about that? Mm -hmm. Yep. Google calendar and Gmail. Mm -hmm. Like, revolutionized the way I use the internet between these two things. Like, you know, calendars existed before that. You know, Outlook, honorable mention from back in the day. (laughs) But Google Calendar and Gmail really, like, made being an internet person possible, like a digital native, right? And I know a certain somebody is going to give me an earful for that. He just switched from Outlook to not Outlook, I guess. Well, I'll talk to him about it later. Anyway, um... So those are my my honorable mentions or my rapid fire ones, but the the real one here is one password. Mm, so one thankful for amazing. one password. Yeah, you know, a it has significantly upped my personal security game. It's made being organized about security and secret sharing in a good way amongst my team at work, like a possible, but also b like well organized and and well done. So happy and so thankful for that, and it's at a reasonable price. And if you didn't know. If you if you get team a team license for one password, everybody on the team gets a free family license. Oh, I so, didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. That way, like you know, you're you're at work. You have to use this thing for security stuff. Okay, fine. But like now, you know it, and you can take what you've learned from using it at work and you know, expand it out to your family. So like because of that, you know, we have it for our family. I've got my wife and kids on it. I've got my mom on it because you get a certain number of seats and. So I was able to share it with her. 
One of the best things that I've come to love about 1Password is that it can do the one-time password aspects of a two-factor authentication, which if anyone has ever had the Google Authenticator app or some other on-your-phone two-factor authentication approach, when you update your phone's operating system, or, or I guess, no, I guess more if you transfer to a new phone, it doesn't mm-hmm. transfer over the one-time password configurations. I guess that's a security consideration. I don't quite understand why. And once you have that in one password, you never have to worry about that again. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you in terms of convenience there. Before I discovered that in one password, I was doing I was using an alternative app called Authy. I think it's from the people who make Twilio. Okay. And the nice thing with that one is it's you know it's external, like it, it stores your tokens. I guess that it needs to build the time based one time passwords in the cloud. And so ah, okay. you get a new phone, you sign into the app and it says, okay, here's your tokens. And it's got them all, you know, your config saved and it would restore that. That was nice. But again, having to get out your phone is a pain in the butt. Now, it's also kind of the whole point, which is why <laughs> I feel just the tiniest little bit bad about using 1Password to do it. Because it's like the password and the one-time password are in the same place. If you get access to one, you now right, have you access, access to both. To the other. It kind of defeats the point. But it's so convenient. So convenient. <laughs> I mean, your computer is still technically like the second factor, right? I think. Is that mm-hmm. how? I, I, Maybe. I'm, I'm always a little bit fuzzy. Unless they got your laptop. Although, you know, sometimes on dual dual where they need a phone number, I just have a Google number. So mm-hmm. I'm just in my browser anyway. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll go to Google Voice, which pops up in a window on my computer. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a little dirty. I do feel a little dirty about that, but I don't use it for anything. Well, I mean, business related, like something like 80% of adults in the United States use an iPhone. And so if 70% of them have a Mac, you know, that's a significant chunk of the country just has iMessage. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Just like a significant chunk of the country has iMessage. I did it again, message, message up on your laptop and it just pops up right there anyway. So yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. I, I don't use Mac, so weird. All right, I'll go. So I'm, I'm going to do two that are non-work related. Okay. One is Plex. Love Plex. Yeah, Plex, Plex is, so, uh, you know, most of you probably know what Plex is, but it was originally X, XBMC. XBMC. It was basically a way for people to have like a like a big screen experience. Hook their Xbox up to a big screen and gave you menus and everything, kind of like the smart TVs we have today. It was just for Xbox, and as you know, Xbox kind of that, that kind of became passe. Now Plex is just it's just a app that you can download for your Fire TV or put it on a PC. Pretty much any. Mm-hmm. On your you phone, on Apple TV, yeah, Apple, yeah, and it just manages all your media. So if you got music, if you got movies, you know that you have legally copied and created a file for, <laughs> which all of mine are. Organize uh, all done, of your Linux ISOs. Exactly, one hundred percent. And you know, it will download like the, the the graphic art for the TV show or the movie, whatever. You show you the Rotten Tomato score. It's just yeah, it, it's just amazing. It's like it's so easy. Just it's, you just put the right file in the right folder just you know the tv name doctor who 2005 put the files in there and it automatically scrapes that and says oh you got new episodes and you can just yeah so if i have a huge like multi-terabyte array of just you know video mm-hmm. and tons of movies and then it, it will organize it for you and keep track of what you watched what you haven't watched you can 
yeah, it, it's just cool. I, I love Plex. Fantastic. You, it, you can watch it remotely if your if your mm-hmm. upload is good enough. You can log in, and, you cool. know, you're on the road. You can watch all your media, keep up with all your media. So that that's really pretty amazing. Yeah. So when I found that out, I started anytime I have to travel for work, I bring an HDMI cable with me so that I can plug my laptop into the TV in mm-hmm. the hotel room, and yep. I can just like control it on my laptop, and then basically casting up onto the the TV in there, yep. my own stuff. Yeah, it's great. It's it's not great for live TV. We we I tried something where we had a an aerial antenna and a, it had this plug in that tried to add that as a source and it didn't really work and where we live we're down kind of in a hole so we don't really get aerial tv anyway but i just get uh youtube tv and that fixed that so and then roll 20.net so you play a lot of dnd online huh yeah we do we play a lot of role-playing games and and just not even you know role-playing like pathfinder and those sort of role-playing games uh, other just other games Particularly like the start of pandemic, just played a lot on Roll Twenty, so it has automatic rice still. It's it's like almost programming in a, in a way. If you want, you, it can be as simple or as complex as you want. It's like it's basically a shared game board. It has video chat, chat, like we have you know on, on other platforms. But uh, you can play games, roll dice, play cards, move pieces, and all that sort of stuff. So it's super. It has like you can build different campaigns and has access to any sort of a lot of different source material books. So it kind of makes it simple. If you know, if you have different features that mm-hmm. your character class has, you can just drag them and drop them onto your character. And now you have that item or you have that, that ability. So those, those are great for gaming. And is that like a, that's like a premium thing you pay extra to get access to all the materials and stuff that's in there. Yeah, you do, but only, so if you're the, so you can, you can buy a premium. I have a premium. I think it's like $99 a year, but the people that you invite don't have to buy all the same things. So if you get a whole bunch of rule books, those rule books can be in your game. Everyone that's in your game, they they don't have to pay anything. Right? Be, they, there's a they can use the free version, and so they have access to all those rule books. So it's like going over to someone's house. They have all the rule books. You can right. sit there and read them and create your characters and do all sort of stuff. They don't have to pay for it. So that, that's pretty cool. That makes sense. Okay. Well, we're. We're pretty much running out of time here. Do we want to throw in the last couple before we go? I got one that I, I can't I can't leave without saying, and that is like a Copilot, and then as an extension of that VS Code, right? So like, a I love I love working in VS Code, I but I also loved working in Sublime Text. So you know, it just was like plus one for new Sublime thing. Text. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're still on the old one, Ben. Yeah, yeah. So like. I kind of just go where the ecosystem is, right? Mm-hmm. So like when Sublime kind of stagnated and, and everybody moved over to VS Code. Like, that's where all the new extensions are being built. That's where all the, the new functionality is. So, like, that's kind of where I went. And it's great. And then, of course, Copilot just makes that an amazing experience. I know you can get Copilot even in, like, Vim, for example. But... You can never get out of Vim once you've <laughs> hey, opened it. I know how to exit Vim. That's why I'm a senior <laughs> I do developer. I, I Google it every time. Well, it, along the lines of development tools, I just want to say that Chrome's developer tools continue to be uh, just like world-class. I have them open constantly and they just feel so much better than any of the other browsers. When I open Safari's dev tools, I don't even have to poke around. I immediately know they're terrible. Their iconography is terrible. Their spacing is terrible. Their margins and padding on their tooling is terrible. Like everything about the tool visually is awful. Chrome dev tools just, I don't know, they knocked it out of the park and continue to evolve on it very rapidly. It's just there's, very impressive. There's, 
so many people that like swear by Safari and I just I don't, don't understand it. Like, are, yeah. are they broken or am I broken? <laughs> Definitely. That, that's what I'm saying is like, you know, you know how you can open up a web page and immediately you get a gut reaction. You're like, this web page is awful. I can't trust yeah. this product. When I yeah. open Safari's dev tools, that's my immediate reaction. Every, it's not everything even the about dev the tools, design is awful. The browser Chrome itself. Like I yeah. open it up and it, it, it reminds me of like the 2002 era iPad that was like skeuomorphic <laughs> design. Everything looks like it's leather and got stitches and like brushed metal. Like <laughs> just agreed. Yeah, it's just agreed. Yeah. So, and then also Chrome it's the tools. new IE6. So, sure. <laughs> all right. Well, then this episode of Working Code is brought to you by IE6, the, the hot new browser that everybody's going to be switching to next month <laughs> and listeners like you if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe then you should consider supporting us on patreon our patrons cover our recording and editing and transcription costs and we couldn't do this every week without them special thanks to our top patrons monty and Giancarlo. you guys rock we are getting ready to go record our after show which is one of the perks that we have for our patrons and it looks like tim has a topic he wants to discuss Something about the university system and he have failed his son. So, oh, it sounds like the, the, the coattails are about to be <gasps> yeeted out from underneath of you there. Uh, mm. <laughs> but uh, hang on, hang on, hold it in. Two, two more all minutes right, and we'll right, be in right, that show. All right. So if all you, right. if we'll you want to hear, yeah, if you want to hear that and more, then you can go to patreon.com slash working code pod, become a patron of the show. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then. Remember, everyone, your heart matters, and we are thankful for you, Indeed. our listeners. Tim, I am thankful for you because you always remember to, to do the, the that, like, you express the feelings I would have if I had feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so why we make a good team. <laughs> You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.